Mount Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Unbelievable kick from Maria. Well, I think it was only in the post-match press conference when one of the journos brought it up that it dawned on Jake Brimmer with two medals clanging around on his neck, his FFA Cup winner's medal and his Mark Viduka medal shared for best on ground, that he was going to go to Japan and play against Andres Iniesta and sort of smiled to himself, couldn't quite believe the question he was being asked and said, yeah, why not? Of course we can beat them. With this team, we can do anything. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Oz Football Hour. You're on FNR Football Nation Radio. I'm Josh Parrish. I've got Jason Goldsmith here with me as per usual. And uh, victory, you can understand the confidence because uh, morale was high after that FFA Cup victory. It was a great atmosphere, a great finish to the match, and uh, I think a well-deserved title for uh, for Popovich's boys. Absolutely, Josh. Good to be here again, but just a great moment in Australian football. We love the FFA Cup finals and a big, loud, vocal crowd mm. getting into it with some amazing goals and a great result. And the home team wins again, as, as they have done all the time. But, um, yeah, that was... One of the highs for the the last week of, uh, of Australian football, that's for sure. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was a bit of a damp squib of a first half, but I don't think anyone really remembers or cares about the first half after they saw what happened in the second with three beautiful goals. All of them were great, weren't they? Um, you know, Davidson's free kick was amazing. And then uh, Arconomides, who you mentioned mm. last week, that spark off the bench, how's that for a absolute worldie to get through? Crowd really celebrated and then... In the terraces there, which was fantastic. And then obviously uh, Oliver Bazanich against his old team trying to get one back in injury time, but not quite enough for the Mariners. Nice touch on the Mariners too, having their uh, their uh, childhood or their first ever junior club on the patch of their of their shirts too, if you noticed. That was, uh, yeah. was really good. Yeah, I saw that on uh, Marco Arrhenia's uh, Instagram, I think. He was particularly enthused by it because they would have had to do some research yeah. to see which Costa Rican team he'd played for as a kid. <laughs> So I think, yeah, so that, that's a nice little touch that the, the Mariners brought to the FFA Cup, or now going to be called the uh, the Australia Cup, and no real rest for that competition. Uh, the, the fixtures and the draws have come out for some of the state federations mm. today, yeah. What do you think about the new name, Jason, the Australia Cup? It's been the worst-kept secret in Australian football for quite a while, but they finally made it official on Saturday night. Look, I think it's it's a good point of difference because the FFA, now that we've called the FA, the FA Cup remains something else to football fans, so it needed mm. a new name. Australia Cup is, I'm okay with it. It's good. A little bit of difference. Some people aren't happy. They thought it should have been named after a, a personality or um, some historical part of the game. I, look, I'm okay with it. I think it should be all right. I mean, I, the, the shape of the trophy is exactly the same. They, they yeah. got that from the start, so... Yeah, I mean, that's a nice bit of uh, symmetry between the two competitions. I mean, the Australia Cup ran just through the 60s. Yep. Um, the last one was 1968, if uh, if my memory is correct. Yeah, <laughs> well, not memory, yep. research, I should yes. say. Memory of my research. <laughs> I wasn't around. But <laughs> yep. um, Yeah, so just from the 60s. So there's been other knockout competitions mm. and this. Um, so there's, you know, different historians have different views on what, it's, uh, what it should be called or what are we backtracking and if you want to do the... Mm the family tree and that kind of thing. But look, we're trying to establish our own history with it. The fact that we have a knockout cup competition, which we were screaming for for a while, has come about. It's been one of the the, the better things mm. that have come from the, the lobby administration. 
now we're just pushing for the national second division and we and some promotion and relegation and we, we'll tick a lot of boxes that, that everyone wants and screaming out for. I mean, this is a maybe a bigger discussion about what the FFA Cup represents and its its uh, triumphs and its pitfalls. It's sort of the the circus comes to town, but it also leaves town for these lower division clubs who don't have an opportunity to get promoted to a higher level. And I, I did notice a little bit, especially under the the previous TV deal, a little bit of dissension in the ranks among how uh, Fox Sports was sort of treating it as uh, MPL food safari and it was all about the Chivapi and not really about the clubs and the football. Yeah, that has, that has changed a little bit and hopefully that's not uh, a focus anymore we want to look at. Mm. Um, what the competition can bring, and we talked about Elvis Camps over a few weeks ago that he was kind of discovered in that and then he's progressed mm. to, you know, having a – uh, a wonderful career and, and representing his, his country and that kind of thing. So we are discovering some young players. Um, we're getting some uh, upsets with the A-League teams getting knocked off by some of the larger NPL teams over the few years. Look, the, the trophy, um, you know, the FFA Cup or the Australia Cup, the logo is going to start to resonate after it's been around for a while now that people know mm. and can recognise the trophy. So if it continues to, to move on, I think it's 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 worthwhile. It's a, it's a great competition and, and if you can – it pretty much starts this weekend, doesn't it? I mean, you did the draw for the Victorian clubs today, yeah. And I think the Queensland fixtures out too. And you can get you can get to your own piece of the the Australia Cup just down the road. I'm sure if you check it out and go on their website, there's plenty of games to check out, and they are fantastic atmospheres. Well, I can only speak for Victoria, but that draw happened this afternoon for the State League four and five clubs. So that's round one. So those games are happening this weekend. Yeah. So. We finished the final. It's a year-round sport now. Well, we Finally, talked, it is. It is. But we talked about that. I think the 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 final that happened was supposed to be many months ago. Yes. But there's a lot of uh, holdups with uh, border closures and the like in the. Well, in the world it had we live 2021 in. all over the posters and the branding yep. and the archway that they had for the, the presentation. So you could tell this was uh, a bit of an anachronism. But silverware means something. Look, do you tell all of those players and mm. all of those fans that it doesn't mean anything? And, like, that atmosphere was fantastic. The place was rocking. The result went to the home team. The Mariners fans came down in pretty good numbers for them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it made for a great contest. It's Saturday Night Football, and it was, it was well worth watching. Well, my big takeaway from the night was the atmosphere and the fact that you only really need 15,000 inside Amy Park to make it a truly memorable rocking atmosphere as long as as you have the active support, and you had an entire active end yep. going nuts. You know, they spilled onto the field at one point in stoppage time when Chris Economides ran into the crowd, and I think some people got pushed over the barrier. I was uh, glad that, you know, there was no real hand-wringing from the, the usual suspects over that because I thought it was fantastic. And, it, you know, no one got hurt, I don't think, and everyone got back into the stand in pretty uh, orderly fashion before the presentation. So, I mean, it's just good flavour. It's, it's good fun. It's, it's a great stadium for football. I mean, we've had some great atmospheres with the Socceroos game uh, the week before um, against Vietnam. But then you counter it. There's a lot of ups and downs with Australian football this week. I watched the Wanderers on, on Thursday night um, in their stadium with, you know, safe standing and the rest of it, and they are not there. The crowd's not there. Hopefully mm. that changes a little bit. But we want those rocking – we want the Wanderers to be back in it with a rocking rectangular stadium like they had at the start before they sort of went uh, went AWOL for a few years while they yeah. built it. Um, again, another great stadium that could provide the atmosphere and sort of kick-start it again. But well done to Victory. That was um, was a fantastic night and great, a great result for them. I think the biggest storyline to come out of it was the, the atmosphere and, and the night itself. I guess the second one is the quality of the goals mm. and – uh, also, the fact that both teams participating in the final, and I think we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, have come off a massive 
massive change in trajectory. Yep. You know, the Mariners, it was as recently as 2019 that there were pieces being written about them saying they could be relegated from the A-League. They the league without yep. relegation because yeah. they were so bad. Because there was apparently a clause in the in the member um, in, in the franchise contracts or whatever uh, that said that three wooden spoons in a row was enough to be removed from the competition. Okay. Obviously, that clause was not uh, enforced uh, as it wasn't in FFA's interest at the time, and it certainly wasn't in the league's interest once they took over the the clubs took over the running of the competition. But that just shows where they've come from, and to get to a cup final is an astonishing achievement versus victory. Two seasons in the muck, and you know their usual standards. You just turn it around, yeah, yeah. I mean, this has been a huge achievement for for Tony Popovich in a very short space of time. And is that his first uh, outside of the Asian Champions League? His first domestic trophy, isn't it? His uh, first the Premier's title? Plate oh, the with Premier's Perth plate. Yes, Glory, okay. I think, would be the other one. Well, his first, his first final win, yeah, then, of, of note, which is great. So, congratulations to Popper. That's, uh, that's I don't think he won anything in Greece or Turkey, as far as I know. <laughs> I'm not sure he stayed that long in Greece <laughs> no. or Turkey, to be honest. Um, disappointing. No Jason Cummings. We were we were hoping and we were praying mm. and crossed our fingers and it didn't eventuate with the, the coming down with the ruling that, uh, no pun intended there, that he wasn't going to play. So, yeah, we'll see what he does with the Mariners in the, in the coming weeks. I think uh, off air we were wondering where Jason Cummings might end up after the match. And uh, I actually got a little exclusive from the Mariners media guys who were down there. It was the yeah. Carlton Club was the destination. Okay, nice. I don't know if they ended up there anyway on the losing side. I guess he wasn't playing, so he yeah. had free reign. But camera cut to him in the stands at one point. He seemed kind of what, slightly bewildered not to be out there. But, you know, we spoke about last week. I disagree with the decision-making. I think it was a bit unfair and also just get your best players on the pitch. That hurt the Mariners. They, I think they could have been more of a threat in this game. and They got stuck in their own box in the second half trying to defend and they didn't have that outlet that mm. I think maybe Cummings could have provided at least for, you know, the first hour or so before he was completely gassed. Yeah, they see or a spark off the bench either way. Mm. But exactly, some, yeah. yeah. Uh, so in terms of the uh, the goal scorers, I thought it was fitting that two former Perth Glory Popovich players stepped up to the plate with the the two goals, the free kick from Jason Davidson. I don't think it was a free kick that anybody expected him to take. I agree. Yeah. Uh, but it was a beautiful strike with his left foot. And same goes for Chris Economides. Just the, I mean, firstly, the quality of the pass from Marjota, but the chest control and the, and the half volley was absolutely sublime. I think it shows why those two players could well be in Socceroos contention uh, if they keep this up. Well, they're the guys. They're, they're the guys that we want to do well when they return to the A League because they, we've got these guys coming back now that are still within their prime. They're not sort of getting their their last ever paycheck. It's not like the old Melbourne Heart days where the Socceroos would make it a graveyard would come and you'd see you know yep. Aloisi and Vinny Grella and these guys that were sort of well past their best, which is a shame. These guys are still got, could still go back and sign for overseas clubs or, or have aspirations for the national team. But both of those goals were amazing, made a massive difference, and then. Uh, and then Ollie pinched one back to make it a little bit interesting, but uh, for about yeah. thirty seconds, yeah, for about thirty seconds. I know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of meet his goal and the reaction afterwards. That was just that was just what we want from Australian football. It was amazing, mm. you know. That's the kind of noise. That's the standard we want. And obviously, you know, it was one-off game. It was the final. Uh, but in terms of going forward for victory, it, it sets them on a on potentially a, a trophy-winning path. And I thought one interesting point to come out of it was to me uh, the clear indication as we've seen earlier this season that Nick D'Agostino is more effective as an impact substitute mm-hmm. than he is as a starter yep. and fair enough he played his way into into form he played his way into the team uh, but for me 
his best attributes are ones that come to the fore late in the game, his physical attributes. Yeah, and it's maybe a mental thing too. Maybe he's angry when he's on the bench and he, he provides that spark. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, he's like, these guys yeah. want to start. They don't want to play 90 minutes. He does They're kind of play athletes. angry, doesn't he? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he's a bit it's, of a bull up front. <laughs> he is. But what a come down is going to be for the victory um, playing in front of 15,000, you know, screaming fans to playing tomorrow night behind closed doors in Wollongong. Uh. Yes. Well, let's get to that. Uh, Wellington Phoenix have decided to close the doors on their uh, their home game in Wollongong after giving away a, uh, a home game to MacArthur uh, in the last last match. That was on Sunday, and that and the strange thing about that, so they they played MacArthur at Campbellfield as the as the home team, but MacArthur were wearing yellow mm. <laughs> away strip, and Wellington weren't wearing their normal. No, they were both there. wearing away strips. I know. Again, a little bit silly. You turn, you're tuning in to watch Wellington and the yellow teams. I actually, I actually yeah. got really confused when yeah. I switched it on. Same thing. And you're going, all right, what's going on here? And then you think, well, you know, the rules are they can't play at home and they got, what, they get 500 at their last home game at Wollongong. Mm. And so the news come through today, they're, they're supposed to be hosting uh, Melbourne Victory at Wollongong and they're, they're make, making the game behind closed doors. No one can actually attend. Yeah. So this is a... Financial call. This it, is not anything to do with COVID or travel restrictions, really. It's just apparently they couldn't find a match day sponsor for the game, yep. uh, which would help them with the cost of actually booking the stadium to open up the stands and the concessions and so forth, I imagine. It's not a, it's not a good look. It's really not a good look. So they're, It's a throwback to Clive Palmer and Gold Coast United back in the day. It, but, you know, they, they launched February. This is going to be a festival of football and it's $20 a ticket <laughs> and you can go for 20 bucks to any game in the A-League for the whole month and I think... Every single day of Feb, there's either a, mm. a W League, or, sorry, A League women's or A League men game, um, and then all of a sudden you can't go. And, and you're saying there's victory fans who do travel to away mm. games quite regularly. There will be numbers that have paid for flights, accommodation, transport. What, what, what do they do? Well, that's the thing. I mean, there've been victory fans tweeting out on social media. Uh, I noticed one fan saying that they'd been in touch with with Wellington. All their accommodation, their flights to Wollongong, everything had all been bought booked and paid for yep. and then at the last minute this is this has changed and um aside from the the ticket it's not not their problem apparently say wellington i, I don't i don't blame wellington for this either because they would be bleeding money with this situation mm. too let's let's think about it they're getting 500 bucks to 500 fans to to a home game mm. but to do it two days out it's um yeah, I mean, it's not. There's not much forward planning going on. They should be playing it somewhere else for the get the broadcaster to say where's the where's the best place to play it, or they play away games because if they if they were to be the home team against Victory in Melbourne, they're going to get more than 500 people, aren't they? Yeah. And they're probably going to justify you know the cost, but I don't know if it's a time thing or whatever. It's it's just it's just not a good look. And we go from the high of Australian football of Saturday night with the Cup final to a game where we'll be able to hear the, every kick, every player scream, mm. every, every swear word as it norm, sometimes is with their wonderful league. It's just, um, yeah, it's just disappointing, really. Well, if this is going to continue, Wellington should give away all their home games and just play all away games. Well, financially, that would probably make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, if, I mean, yeah. it's better for the league as well. You turn on the TV, there's actually fans in the stands yep. all of a sudden. I mean, and I would like to see for these away fans, and there'll only be a couple dozen of them, you'd mm. imagine, for a midweek game in Wollongong. Yep. There's only the diehards from, even from Victory, a club yep. like that, would actually go. So it's not going to be an exorbitant expense. And for the APL, you know, they're all in this together now. 
the owners said they would pump money into the league if they were able to run it. And, you know, maybe that was before COVID. Maybe those promises were made. But I, I think the APL should just dig into their pockets and reimburse these supporters because they're the fans that we should be treasuring and taking care of. They're the fans that are passionate enough so that they will actually travel into state and give an atmosphere to games that wouldn't have one. And these are the fans that we continually mistreat. Absolutely, 100%. So we need to embrace these football fans rather than trying to find, get the Euro snobs or the novices or the theatre goers to come to this game. We need to embrace the people that are going to go all the time. They should have just opened the doors somewhere. I mean, it's not like the, we talked about the broadcaster having, having to be, you know, at the main grounds because that's where they'll set up and everything. But they've done some of the, the Australia Cup or the FFA Cup games when mm. uh, Arpia played Western Sydney and those kind of things. They just open the doors and, and let the crowd in and have it at these grounds. But it's just really disappointing. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting to see how that one goes. Well, there's uh, our take on that. Uh, so basically calling out the APL, take some leadership on this issue. Yes, Wellington Phoenix are bleeding money, and I understand why they've decided that, you know, this should this course of action should be taken because they didn't anticipate that they were going to be playing away from home for so long. But surely the APL can step in here, so uh, at least reimburse the fancy travel. I mean, if they're basing them in Wollongong and they're going to and they're going to that's their semi or pseudo home ground until they're allowed back to New Zealand, then that's fine. They need to actually open the open the gates. It's, it's a pretty bad decision. So uh, from one Australian football triumph in terms of crowd and atmosphere mm-hmm. and occasion to a uh, bit of a travesty happening tomorrow night, that's the, that's the way of it that's sometimes. The, that's the Oz football hour. <laughs> that's pretty much what we'll go through that. We won't touch the Socceroos, but we'll, we can do the rest. Let's go to a break and uh, then we might touch on uh, the Socceroos in their two-all draw versus Oman. On the other side, uh, we're going to hear from our sponsors and then come back with more on the Oz football hour with Josh Parrish and Jason Goldsmith. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Yeah! Like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick from Bobbia. Well, it seems like a long time ago now that... Uh, Wednesday morning, the last time we did this show was the Tuesday night, so the Socceroos managed to squeeze in a disappointment for us in between the two shows. Uh, 3am kickoff for the fans here on the East Coast. I got up for it, Jason. I'm not sure if you did, but uh, I have to say I went to bed somewhat regretting that decision. I got up to watch it on delay, but actually Paramount weren't quick enough for me, so I got up at about 6.30 ready to watch it on as live and couldn't catch up. It wasn't quite ready mm-hmm. there yet, so I did manage to catch it afterwards. Um, not unexpected for us to see um, them draw in the Middle East. Unfortunately, they blew a lead twice uh, and got one point for the draw. So now the chances of finishing top two and getting automatic qualification pretty much out the window. I would be tempted to say same old story, mm. but it kind of was and it wasn't. I mean, some of the stuff that Australia played in the first half, uh, getting Irvine further forward, playing on the front foot, not allowing Oman to counterattack too often uh, with the field positions we were taking up yep. and forcing them, pinning them back essentially and you know, eventually getting the goal with the, with the penalty. Some of the better stuff we've seen from Graham Arnold's soccer is and it, it just all fell apart at the end of the game. Yeah, it did. Um, it did. And, and they were miss- there was no crowd because of COVID and they were missing some key players for COVID as well. So let's, mm. not, um, 
let's not. I mean, Oman were missing, well. I think, seven first teamers, so you should be beating them. Like, there's no real yeah, excuses if for the, it. If that's their B team, then yeah, we should be taking the three points. But as it stands, we will pretty much finish third in the mm. group, barring a miracle. Yeah, um, and then we play the third place in the other group, and then if we win that. Currently, I think fifth. Who's fifth in South America? I, I think bl- it's Uruguay who are ahead of Chile and Colombia. So it was Peru last time I checked, but it may have changed. There was it's- some games for them, but it's it's not looking good. It's really not. And maybe is this the reset we need? Is it the new the new head coach that we need? I'm not sure. Um, I don't think we have the we don't have the cattle that we have done in the past few World Cups. Mm. Um, but we'll see how we go. It was just it was just disappointing, you know. So we're all pumped up after the Vietnam game and the rest of it. We're on a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of a wave there, a bit mm. of excitement, and um, yeah, sort of sort of just went fell straight back to earth. And then we, we but I guess and then we had Ange the next morning, so we jumped back up again on, on Thursday morning as that roller coaster week of of Oz football. Um, Hrustic didn't start, so no. We, no. So that was an interesting piece, and then he's had a what he's scored a brace on the weekend as well. Yes, yeah, so he came off the bench for Eintracht Frankfurt and scored twice. Uh, one of them uh, was deflected, I believe. But the second goal mm. was the chip to the top of the box, straight from the corner kick, and he caught it clean on the volley yep. into the ground and into the into the corner. So it was a beautiful, beautiful strike, and maybe. With you know two goals off the bench, there's not much more you can do to play yourself into the first team. So I think we he showed us what we were missing out on. I thought he was quite good when he came on for the Socceroos. Yeah, yes, but yeah, not not starting. We wanted him to start as you know coming back. From Have that. to find a way to accommodate him. He's our best player. He's yeah. our best player by miles at the moment. So anyway, he seems to be kind of occupying the same role as Rogic in the team, and they don't seem to coexist too often, which well, is... They need to, need to find a way to make that work because Rogic has then scored again for Celtic on the weekend. Yeah, so, twice. Yeah, so um, they're, they're our form guys playing in, in decent leagues in Europe, so they're the ones we need to make work together. So if we do something about that. I was a little disappointed that Denny Jonrow wasn't called up to this squad. I think he can offer something a little bit different, and I think late in the piece against Oman, we needed somebody who could keep the ball. And with Irvine and Jego there as mm-hmm. the midfield pairing, once Moy came off after yep. his goal, which was a good hit, by the way, mm-hmm. and he had one of his better games playing as the deepest midfielder, we need somebody who was a little bit more comfortable on the ball, could slow the pace of the game down, just manage it, keep the ball. And you know, I think Jenny Genro offers that technically, and I'm not sure if Jego does. He's a bit more of a uh, ground-covering, pressing player. And I think we're missing more players like that. Games seem to seem to get away from us too easily when we're ahead, and we've conceded a lot of goals from winning positions yeah, in this have, qualification yeah. campaign. And he's playing a lot of minutes in France too. So we can't yeah, really... Ligue 2, uh, I'm not going to claim to have watched it too often, but I've watched him at Melbourne City. Yep. You can tell he's a high-caliber footballer, and it seems as if he's victim of... Graham Arnold's policy of, of not throwing the uh, the young guys in without with abandon, certainly. I mean, Tilio was, was sitting on the bench and we had Craig Goodwin come on instead, yeah. which, you know, I think is probably reflective of his approach throughout his coaching career. He's pretty cautious with when it comes super, to playing the young cautious, players. Super cautious, super cautious. And, and, but our record, we keep saying our record in the Middle East is terrible. Like, we, we, mm. we don't do well there. I mean, it, there's obviously difference in terms of, the conditions and, and, and the rest of it, but like we, we're not surprised by the result. We're disappointed by two all. No one's surprised or no. shocked, right? No. no one's surprised or shocked. So then was calling for, you know, um, Arnie to say, you know, things are great. What was his last one? Our goal difference is as good as a win. You know what? It's probably not, but um, 
We'll see how we go. So we'll see what happens. If he takes us to the playoffs um, and if we do make it through the, the Asian playoff to mm. go to the South American one, so like it's, it's the same route we took last time um, except we're playing a South American team in the, in the last leg if we get that far. So can't see us. And they're one-off games in the Middle East. They are one-off games too in the Middle East. So. We don't do well there. I'm, I'm t- to be honest, not that optimistic that we'd make it past UAE. Mm. I, I don't think so either. Uh, and Coached I've, by Bert van Marwijk. It's a little bit of uh, cosmic symmetry that doesn't usually tend to play out well for the Socceroos. No, no, it doesn't. And look, I, don't, I haven't thought we'd qualify as well. Um, you know, if you want to take the, the the moral high ground, Qatar's probably a nice one to miss. But um, yeah. in terms of the Can we call fans, it, Don't call it a boycott. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But I mean, look, since 06, so that's four in a row, but we haven't won a game at the World Cup. For, we missed the last two. Mm. Or we got to draw the last one and another week before. We've won two games in World Cup history. So, like, it might be a good thing that we're not just making up the numbers mm. in Qatar and we get a reset where we go, right, we get a new coach, we get a new process, we get a new policy, or we, we just bring kids, bring some kids in, like John Rowe and, and these guys, to, to change, change the process. So, we'll see. Because a lot of these guys, too, have been around for three or four campaigns now, if you mm. look at it. So, we'll see. You know what frustrates me is that, you know, I was quite concerned about our progress earlier in the campaign, but because we were winning, there was no cause for alarm. And particularly, you know, I went pretty hard after that Vietnam game yep. uh, where we did win, but I thought it was an absolutely shocking performance and I was kind of got a lot of blowback, you know, from – regular fans on Twitter, but also yep. notable kind of media commentators and so yep. forth that, oh, it was too hot. Oh, it was a terrible pitch. Oh, you know, we win and we move on. It's not a problem. And I think we're seeing those chickens come home to roost now that, you know, the this warning signs were there earlier and it's only now that it's almost nailed on that we're going to miss the World Cup that the alarm bells are going off. Was it seven or eight in a row that was the record in the qualification? Yeah, we like, like it's, I think no. we won 11 in a row, which was a total just, fool's yeah. gold as far as a winning streak Correct. goes because we were beating minnows that were never our, really our rivals for World Cup participation. That's it. You're wallpapering over the cracks that you see everyone could see it coming and everyone's seen it coming. Um, so anyway, we, we go again next month in March. Japan at home, Saudi Arabia away, who are the top two in the group. Yeah. We hope know. and we pray and we – well, we don't – I don't expect to win. <laughs> no, neither of those actually, to be honest. Um, but anyway. Yes, indeed. Well, let's let's move on to the A-League then. Uh, Newcastle, um, enjoying seeing them back in action and they did get a win for their troubles against Brisbane Raw. Angus Thurgate uh, with a lovely winning goal actually. It was a very, very nice strike. And I'm super impressed with – just their foreign signings, the caliber. We haven't seen this team play for a while until mm-hmm. the last two games that they've managed to, to get going. And um, uh, I'm just impressed with, you know, Daniel Pena as a totally unknown, you know, Brazilian playmaker coming into the league. They've done well to pick him out. Mm-hmm. And Olivia Bumal as well, the winger, I thought was tremendously impressive on the flank. And, and Angus Thurgate's been the beneficiary. I think he's been a good player for a long time, but... Uh, he's been a beneficiary of having higher caliber footballs around him in that midfield. Really wet conditions too. It was mm. hard. I mean, we said the first goal was a, a freak occurrence, wasn't it? The own yes, goal off the keeper. <laughs> a freak occurrence. Sorry, thanks. Nice, nicely done. Thank you. Um, good for the Jets. Again, they've, they've missed a lot. What have they played seven for this season or something? So they've, they've got a lot of games to come back for. But uh, yeah, for them to get a winner and a 2-1 win on a very wet sort of Thursday night, um, the diehard fans were there. Um, good for them. Good for Newcastle. 
And for Adelaide 1, Sydney FC 2, the Camp Sober resurrection continues, the re-reclamation project, the he's, rehab. He's the guy, but the best thing about his opening goal was that Andy Harper just gave him the commentator's curse beforehand <laughs> when he said, look, he's been very flat, Camp Sober. He hasn't done what we've seen him do in previous games, and it was only the 19th minute, and then, yeah, he scores the first one. So um, that was good. Stefan Moorcock equalised, so we had a bit of a game on our hands. Um the big performance, I think the difference with that, so the, the returning Socceroos, Adelaide chucked straight on, so Craig Goodwin played, um, and Andrew Redmayne stayed on the bench for mm. Sydney FC. And uh, Hewitt Bell, 24-year-old reserve goalkeeper, he had an absolute um, fantastic game. Yeah. And, you know, arguably that performance was better than anything that Redmayne has put together yep. this season. I don't remember him having a game so far this year where he made as many ridiculously good saves as Hewitt Bell did. No. Um, and then Hiroshi had the penalty to equalise mm. uh, to make it to all, which was really late, which he saved too, which was just yeah. just amazing. But he had, had plenty of good saves before that as well. He played an outstanding game. And the game before, apparently, he was he was quite good as well. I can't recall it too much, but that's just um, good. Again, we're producing good goalkeepers. With this, uh, yeah, but a nice, a nice win to Sydney. I would like to see Redmayne go overseas, if I'm honest, yeah. to further himself. Because I... I don't really think he deserves to be in the Socceroos camps beyond, well, I mean, I think that Lawrence Thomas is a better goalkeeper in my opinion, but like Redmayne could certainly prove me wrong if he goes to a better overseas league and, and is first choice. Whereas, you know, Hewitt Bell is the kind of guy I'd like to see come through and play every week in the A-League. I, yep. As, you know, contradicting certain national team coaches' old interview quotes, I think the A-League is a development league. It needs to be a development And he's 24 and he still hasn't broken through as a a first-choice keeper because it's Sydney FC. It needs to be a development league. We need to get these kids up and running and going overseas. And he's not a kid anymore. He's he's 24. So, yeah. For a goalkeeper, I guess he's still young. But Um, I'd like to see Redmayne um, overseas as well. And I think the whole... Is it antiquated to have three goalkeepers in your squad for for these qualifiers too? So when's your third goalkeeper ever going to get a look in? Oh, tell that to, to Cormoros in the African nation, Cup of Nations. I don't know if you saw their left back having to start in goals after a couple of COVID cases. <laughs> ah, nice. No, well, the COVID's a different story yeah, rather than having three in, three in your squad. I don't know if it's FIFA mandated. It might be actually. Must be. I think it is. Yeah. You have, you have, to, have to have three. three. Yeah. Maybe we can have a, a rush goalie. See if we can sneak <laughs> in Jenny Genre as the rush goalkeeper. Maybe. Change it over. <laughs> Change it over. But anyway, um, nice win to Sydney. So, yeah, they can uh, keep on rolling along. Uh, Western Sydney Wanderers nil, Western United won. Alexander Priovic with a thumping finish. Uh, but this was the kind of uh, cautious, controlled, clean sheet performance that we've come to expect from Western United so far this season. No one can score against them. No, very clinical, very clinical. Um, and it was the second second game for uh, Mark Rudan. And I was just looking at the Wanderers too. Like They've got a bit of... um. They've got some some decent players on the bench, like in terms of names and stuff. So I went through it. They had... Um, Najarine, Abini, Tate Russell, Dimi Petratos, and, and Terry Antonis all on the bench for the Wanderers when they started that game. Like it's um, that's that's fairly decent. You're looking at a few fringe Socceroos there, and, and the rest of it not getting any minutes or not getting much, yeah, not getting many minutes at all. But now nah, clinical win, a sort of a bit of a come down for the Wanderers after they uh, started the the Redan era with a win on the, when we go back to. Wednesday night, Tuesday night, midweek, some kind of uh, <laughs> Wednesday night. Was it was after the Socceroos. It was, yeah. Uh, miscellaneous A League midweek kickoffs that all blur into each other after a while. Well, that's the one I mentioned. There was not much of a crowd there, no. so because we get the highs and the lows. Jack Rodwell scored the as captain scored the winner for there, and um, 
people were calling for a Socceroos call up for the English international. Is interesting. Yeah, I mean, his wife is Australian. He's only played friendlies. I think technically he might be eligible, but uh, we, we got to come on. We just need these false messiahs. We need to develop kids. <laughs> we need to develop our own juniors. I, I couldn't yeah. tell whether that that take was a joke or not. I couldn't tell. It was deleted. Anyway, okay, maybe yeah. not then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack Rodwell, come on. I mean, I, honestly, I'm not sure if he should even be starting for the Wanderers, let alone playing for the Socceroos. No, I, he, he's been really good, actually. I, I've, I've rated him. Yeah, he's been okay. pretty good. So if you if you want ex-Premier League, we've got a few ex-Premier League players. I mean, that's probably going to lift the profile a little bit. If you want ex-Premier League players, it's good to get them in their 20s, you know, rather than later mm. in their 30s and stuff like that. So, um I guess it depends on the level of player of Premier League player. Let's see, uh, he was on Man City's books, remember? So well, I mean, was, yeah, yeah, I mean, Rodwell was a phenomenon when he was breaking through at Everton, but that was a long time ago, and he's had a sharp career dip to not well, playing in League One. Let's see. Then. Well, I think the um, all the Netflix people with the Sunderland till I die probably um, fans might not have a, the same view of him. Anyway, no. um, he scored on uh, Redan's debut, so that was a one 0 win over Perth Glory, but they were they were COVID ravaged the Glory. They um. It's it's interesting to see that we're having all these games in a row, nearly one a night. Um, how people are going to manage mm. the fitness, the, the you know COVID recovery, and the rest of it. So we'll yeah, um, well, I guess it's an opportunity for young players to get minutes out of necessity. Yep. And sometimes, like we saw at the back end of last season, you do get a few breakthrough players mm-hmm. that um, make a name for themselves, even if the you know the tension has gone out of it a little bit or the uh, the intensity of the game isn't as high, but yeah. I would like to see Perth give more minutes to players like Giordano Colli. I think he's got something about him. Um, Daniel Steins, I've I've liked the look of as well yeah. as a, as an attacking player, as a creative kind of dribbler. Uh, obviously, the whole narrative around Glory this season has revolved entirely around one player, and he's barely played at all. Um, but it's funny, um, isn't it? We had that like the first game where Sturridge got minutes because we got a sellout yeah. crowd at um, in Perth HBF Park. And then when Wellington had their game last season and they were only one game at home, they've got mm. a sellout crowd as well. So maybe absence makes the heart grow fonder for these guys. So um, let's open that border and, and get them playing at home and, and then Sturridge will be fit and base there and maybe he just plays home games because they're like the four-hour flights and we'll get a bit of uh, a bit more publicity around them. Yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice. I mean, you know, we've, I guess, got something to look forward to when Wellington Phoenix finally get home and, and Perth Glory the same. Uh, but it's whether that, I guess, interest sustains itself. And I sort of question whether Wellington would have been able to maintain anywhere near that level of uh, support if they'd played this entire season at home. I, I think it would regress to the mean a little bit. True, but they might, might have been motivating for the players a little bit. I'm not sure how they're doing it, to be honest. We've yeah, we got to be that's true. Really, that got true. To, really got to think about the Phoenix and the glory and what they're actually giving up in terms of trying to be a professional athlete if they're away from home for well, it's going to be months on end at this stage. So yeah. it's, it's quite a, a decent effort. Well, with that, I think let's take a short break. Uh, we've got something very exciting coming up on the other side. Chris McLaughlin from the BBC in Scotland is going to join us. He's our semi-regular Scottish correspondent because Ange Postacoglu had a smashing old firm derby and uh, followed it up with a 4-0 demolition of Motherwell in which Tom Rogic starred. So... We've got that to break down, and he's sent to the top of the table with Celtic, but also some Aussies making their way at Hearts, and we'll see what uh, Chris McLaughlin thinks of Cammy Devlin. And now Nathaniel Atkinson joining the ranks of Aussies playing in Scotland. And uh, 
Might even ask him if he's got any other secret Aussies up his sleeve that we could borrow for the national team. We'll, uh, we'll come back on the other side of this break and catch up with Chris McLaughlin from the BBC. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Well, I imagine there were a fair few Australian football fans feeling particularly smug last Thursday morning as Celtic tore Rangers apart, thinking back to the scepticism that greeted his appointment over in Scotland. We were all fighting the good fight on Twitter, weren't we, Jason? Telling him he's good. Give him a chance. Breakfast Ange ball, like some the midweek Scottish Premier League starts. Fantastic. But yeah, how good was it? Like at home, full crowd. I thought they were going to rip the stands down when they hit the... <laughs> Three nil at half before half time. It was it was amazing to watch. One really of the most good. scintillating performances I've seen this season by any team. And to help us break it down, we've got our semi regular Scottish correspondent Chris McLaughlin from the BBC in Scotland joining us. Uh, good morning to you, Chris. Hi guys, how are you? We're doing well, mates. Uh, tell us about the atmosphere inside Celtic Park. It was all home fans, we understand, and you could it certainly felt that way. Yeah, it was. Um, there's a, a sort of ongoing issue just now between Celtic and Rangers that, uh, that means that it's only home fans at the at the stadiums, which some people suggest doesn't quite make for the atmosphere that it used to be. But listen, as you guys said, the atmosphere on, on Wednesday night was absolutely incredible. And I think that probably, I mean, we know the old firm atmosphere is huge anyway, but that first half was just absolutely incredible I have never that I can remember seen such a one-sided 45 minutes of football in an old firm game it was I mean Celtic completely ripped Rangers apart um and I I think that had something to do with the atmosphere (laughs) all the fears that, that Celtic fans perhaps had that you know maybe this Rangers squad might have raised their game uh for Celtic who were going well anyway Rangers were had been struggling for form a little bit going into that game. But listen, they've still got a good squad, and I think there was a, a little bit of fear among some Celtic fans that they might raise their game, but they, but they couldn't manage it. They couldn't live with Celtic in that first 45. Yeah, I thought, you know, I was with the conventional wisdom on this one, and I thought you needed the kind of back and forth between the home and away fans to get the best yeah. possible atmosphere. Turns out that's not true at all. You just need the home team to score three amazing goals inside the first 45 minutes, and then you're fine. I mean, the quality of those goals, the intensity with which Celtic played in that first half was off the charts. Is that what they're doing week in, week out at Scotland? Yeah, this seems to be, and you guys will probably know this better than me, but this seems to be uh, Postacoglu's, um, it seems to be his way, certainly in the first half, look, absolutely go for it, smother teams, uh, make sure that we hit them with a knockout blow in the first 45 minutes and they won't come back and, and that's what happened. It's worked a lot this season for them. Some of the criticisms, to be fair, of, of Postacoglu's side, um, up to now have been that they can't do it for 90 minutes. They don't have the fitness. I'm not surprised <laughs> given the given the speed and the intensity of, of the football in, in the first 45. But yeah, it, it seems to be what they do. What I couldn't quite believe about Rangers the other night, and it was evident from the first couple of minutes, 
is that they kind of sat off Celtic a little bit. Um, and anyone who's had any joy against Ange Postacoglu's side this season usually get in their faces and, and Rangers bizarrely seem to kind of sit back and, and try and soak it up. And we know what happened. Um, so tell us, Chris, in terms of um, Ange turning around the media pundits and the Celtic fans coming from... Um, we know what he's done and what he's capable of, but there was a lot of feedback that we were getting secondhand back here about how how is Celtic, a, a wonderfully large club, recruited this guy and what's he going to bring to the table? And look at his recruits. And how's he managed to turn that around given um, what, what he's done with the squad and, and, and being on top of the table? Good question. I mean, I wish I had the answer, to be honest, because a lot of the the plaudits that have come his way have been down to the fact that he's completely rebuilt the squad. I mean, you look at the the sort of starting 11 in the past few weeks, you've got Tommy Rogic, Forrest, McGregor. Other than that, really, it's a completely new Celtic. Um, he, I listened to an interview with him the other day and he said, someone asked him, look, are you ahead of where you thought you were going to be by now? And he said, well, yeah, kind of, but he also said, I knew that I wasn't going to get the time. I knew that at Celtic, being someone who was relatively unknown, I wasn't going to get two or three years to rebuild this. So he knew that he had to, re- one, rebuild, and two, be successful. And he's managed that, and you don't see that in football very often. You, you guys might not know quite in the same way we do here, that Celtic and Rangers... There are no prizes for second best, <laughs> and that, and I mean that with the yeah. fans. Yes, if you don't win, you're out, uh, and especially you're out the door even quicker if you're not a recognised name. So, Ange Postecoglou has turned things around very quickly, but he had to because if he didn't, he would not have had the grace that, say, a Steven Gerrard perhaps may have had because he didn't come with that name. And you're right, he's turned around the media as well. We're, we're running out of superlatives for Ange Postecoglou here, to be honest. Um, Tommy Rogic is an interesting one. He's been a Celtic for a long time, but he obviously injury prone and not being able to run out the 90 minutes and, and a few of those things. He's, his form seems to be um, next level as well. He's certainly for the national team for us. We've, we've reaped the benefits, but he seems to be doing doing better this season as well. Yeah, and you know I've, I've noticed something about Tom Rogic this season and you know he's one of those players who sometimes can look a little bit lacklustre, he can look sometimes a little bit disinterested, but then he just turns and does something special. And I've kind of noticed a a happier Tom Rogic this season. He looks as though he's enjoying his football more. Now, maybe he always was, but he just looks as though he is. And it's easy to put that down to the fact that he is playing with a man that that knows him and and knows his style. Um, I, I think that we're seeing the very best of Tom Rogic. You're right. Tom Rogic for, for the past few seasons was kind of used as the player who would come on and change a game because he's got something special. He would usually get half an hour, 60 minutes, um, but he's putting in 90 minutes now. He's putting in a performance across 90 minutes now and he looks happier. And you're seeing, listen, the goal he scored against um, Motherwell the other night was just typical Rogic. You know, that open up your body, curl it into the top corner as though you do that every day. Hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that, that Rogic and the performance and the turnaround of Rogic 
has really been key to what Postecoglou's tried to do at Celtic, and it's yeah, it's working. It's really working. The thing about Scottish football is that the vultures are always circling when it comes to your best players, and it's always hard to keep hold of them. Um, but I mean, Ange seems to be finding players from all over the place. Is it him doing most of the recruiting? Because it seems to be with the four players who've come from Japan, his his fingerprints are all over those signings. Does Celtic have other other people who are involved, the director of football or so forth, that uh, that greenlight these signings? So how are they finding these players? Yeah, it's a good question. Again, they don't have a director of football as such right now, and I have noticed on Twitter a few Rangers fans saying, how are these guys, how are Celtic finding these guys? We've got a director of football, we've got a whole scouting department, and this all seems to be coming through Postacoglu. Yeah, he's clearly using his contacts um, in Asia uh, to good effect. Um, I mean, Hatati alone, everyone here is scratching their heads, everyone in and I think British football is scratching their heads about how this guy managed to stay under the radar mm. for so long. He's he's absolutely sublime. He's um, relatively cheap too, wasn't he? Yeah, one point four million, I think they yeah. paid for him, which is you know absolute robbery yeah. in all honesty. <laughs> um, I expect that he will go on if if, if Atati continues in, in, in the vein that he's that he's in in the form that he's in, and he continues to grow and build. He will go for big, big money to the English Premiership. I would, I would guess, um, because yeah, his his performances have been absolutely out of this world. And yeah, you're right. Postecoglou is tapping into a market that has not been tapped into much mm. in uh, in Scottish football, UK football, um, and I think that Celtic are absolutely reaping the the benefits of that. I guess Celtic do have a little bit of history with Japanese players. I mean, you think back to mm. Nakamura, who was so well loved yeah. there. So I guess the you know it resonates with the fans a little bit when they they find you know these hidden gems from Asia that you've never heard of before and suddenly become your heroes overnight. You're right, Nakamura. I mean, Celtic fans still talk very very fondly of Nakamura, who was one of the best, wasn't he, uh, Japanese players mm. of all time. Um, and I remember going over to to Japan to do a documentary actually when he signed, and there was another Japanese player called Koki Mizuno, who also signed uh, for Celtic at the time. wasn't quite as successful as Nakamura, and what Celtic get as well as a very good player is the ability to tap into a, a market over there that can be financially very attractive. Um, mm. I don't know yet just how much that is the case with the players they've got. I, I can only imagine it's that something that they're working on. I would imagine that when the world, the doors of the world are thrown open again after COVID, there will be tours of Japan. Um, so, yeah, A, they're getting very, very good players, and B, the upside and the, the bonus is they're tapping into what is a very lucrative market financially. Well, certainly the proof in the will be in the pudding for Andrew when it comes to the the business end of the season and the title challenge and so forth. But is the style of play beginning to turn heads? Are people from outside of Scotland beginning to sit up and, and take notice of how Celtic are playing? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Certainly, I remember uh, the other night seeing uh, Andrew Robertson from, from Liverpool, obviously the Scotland captain, a few others from, from down south uh, tweeting about Hatati and saying, where did this guy come from? He's absolutely incredible. So I think you're right. I think they are. Um, and what's, what is really impressive to see about it is that Ange Postecoglou just seems to be kind of taking it all in a stride. He's got that 
he's got that Aussie swagger <laughs> that um, that seems to that seems to suggest, yeah, you know, I've got it. What, what's the big deal? Um, and I think Celtic fans are really buying into that uh, that that he has this confidence to say, look, guys, you know, there's, there's no big deal. I've, I've got this. I know what I know what I'm doing. I know where we're going. Um, and yeah, going on from talking about Hitati, if if Ange Postecoglou continues um, to set the heather light the way he has done, yeah, I can only imagine that other teams are going to take notice and other leagues are going to take notice as well. How is he like to deal with in press conferences? Because he was pretty prickly at the start and you know he can be a bit grumpy when he's asked about certain things that he doesn't want to answer. But he's also got this sort of uh, immense quotability about him, Ange, that he's sort of supremely self-confident but entirely without, I, I guess, pretension. Yeah, you know, he's got... I would say that the, the, the journalists here are still wary. <laughs> I think... You stony. I think yeah. that he certainly uh, makes you think twice about the question you're going to ask. I think that's fair. And listen, that's no bad thing for journalists sometimes who can ask daft questions. We know that, uh, myself included. Um, so, yeah, it, that, that's no bad thing. In terms of quotability, you're absolutely spot on, Um he said something the other night after the game, which I think has actually gone worldwide, and it's he absolutely nailed it. What he said was um, there were, of the 60,000 people who came into the stadium, he said, I know that a lot of those people would have would have had problems to deal with. And he said, and for 90 minutes, we made them forget about those problems, and that, for me, is special. And it's those little things that really resonate with football fans. Old-style football fans who, who know the joys in, of football and know what football means. And he seems to get that. He seems to understand what football means to people. And he comes out with these quotes that proves that. And yeah, and, and I think that's what make, it makes the, the Celtic fans love him all the more, to be honest. I think he's a football fan himself, first and foremost, from yeah. long. You should read Changing the Game for anyone who needs to, to listen to what uh, Ange thinks. Whilst we're on uh, Aussies in, in Scotland, tell us about uh, Hearts, Chris. We've got uh, Cam Devlin and Nathaniel Atkinson have just made it uh, across there as well. How are, they, how are they going? Yeah, okay. Um, I think, I mean, Hearts have been tapping into the Australian market for, for some time, haven't they? Um, and, and they continue to do that. There's clearly a link um, there somewhere. And, well, Ryan McGowan, I suppose, is the obvious one, isn't it? Um, Hearts at the moment are a, a club who don't quite <laughs> don't quite know what they're doing. One minute they're great, the next minute they're all over the place. Um, but in general, doing pretty well. They're a good club, Hearts, a very good club. It's a, uh, if you ever get a chance to come over here and, and go to a game at Tynecastle, it's one of the best atmospheres you'll, you'll find in football. It's very, very intense. Um, so it's early days, I think, to see it, to, in, in terms of, of how those guys are doing. But they're, they're a very good club. Um and they've got a very good manager as well. And there is a, a history of, of, of decent Australian players coming through that club. So I think they'll do just fine, to be honest. What do you think are Nathaniel Atkinson's chances of, of nailing down a regular first-team place as that kind of right wing-back in that system? He's got in lately because I think there's been an injury to more established players ahead of him. But you know we're looking at him as a potential Socceroos prospect and so forth. But you know, he, there were times in the A-League where he couldn't get off the bench at Melbourne City. So it's sort of, uh, I mean, we all know the ability he has, but it's sort of slightly bizarre that 
uh, you know, he's been the one plucked out of the A League. Yeah, I, I think technically he looks good. Um, he's the kind of player who looks pretty comfortable on the ball. Uh, I think what he will probably have to get up to speed with quickly is the intensity mm. of of the football in Scotland because you don't get um, even at right back you don't get much time in the ball. Uh, it's very very difficult for players who are used to having a little bit of you know having a little bit more time and space. It can be very difficult for those players to get up to speed with the the blood and thunder that sometimes is in Scottish football. So if he can adapt to that and retain that obvious technical ability that he has, there's no reason why he can't. Um, you're right. That, that I think Michael Smith has been mm. um, right back for some time and, and he's played very well. He's injured at the moment. But listen, we know how that works in football. When someone goes out, someone else can take the chance. And there's no reason why he can't if he can do those things that I mentioned. Now, um, Chris, we've been sharing a few players in the national team of late. With you know, I'm talking about Martin Boyle and and Harry Sutar for us, and Lyndon Dykes for for Scotland. There's a, a gentleman that's just joined the A League that uh, started with a bang at Hibs, played, had got a few caps for Scotland, and then had a few few extra clubs and a few disciplinary reasons. But he's just landed in Australia and he started with uh, Central Coast Mariners with a goal on debut, and that's Jason Cummings. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, his history? Uh, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> we like characters Jason down here. We want characters. Cummings. Yeah. Oh, you've got a character. You've certainly got a character, that's for sure. Jason Cummings will light up any dressing room in any football club across the world. Um, he's not short of confidence. <laughs> he is certainly a character. But to be fair, on his game, he's not short of ability either. Um, I think the the big... <laughs> the big thing about Jason Cummings is if a manager can find that balance between taming him and getting the best out of him but not stifling his character, then you've got a very, very good player. He's got great natural ability. He's got that thing that all good strikers should have, and that's confidence, a bit of arrogance. Um, but he's as daft as a brush. <laughs> <laughs> In all honesty... He's a daft and, and likable. I, I don't. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. He's a likable guy. Um, but you, if you're looking for a character, you've found one in Jason Cummings. Believe me. Excellent. He's got an Australian mum too. So at first press conference after the yeah, interview after his game where he scored, saying yes, yes, I'm happy to play for the Socceroos if you pick me. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah. No. Listen. I've interviewed Jason Cummings many times. I know him, I know him fairly well through that and. Uh, yeah, good luck to the manager who's trying to uh, to manage him. But if he does manage it, uh, he's got a very good player. <laughs> well, it's a quite sort of, uh, how would you describe Nick Montgomery? Sort of dour, stern Yorkshireman? Yes. That's what <laughs> so, really coach, yeah. yeah. So it well, could go it's, badly. It's a good luck. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, Chris McLaughlin, we could talk to you all day, but uh, you've got places to be, I'm sure. Uh, thank you so much for making the time for us on FNR, and we look forward to catching up with you again so you can say more nice things about Ange and stro- stroke that Australian football ego. We love that. We need it too. We, <laughs> we, just, it. we just like being, right. we just like someone to pay attention to us. That's, that's all it is. <laughs> well, you're certainly, making, uh, you're certainly making us sit up and notice, so uh, yeah, absolutely. Chris McLaughlin from the BBC. Uh, follow his Twitter. It's in the, in the title of the stream. 
Uh, fantastic to have him join us here on FNR. That's all the time we've got for today's show. Uh, thank you for joining me, Jason, and uh, we'll catch you again next week. Anything you're looking forward to in the week of Oz football with games left, right, and center in the A League? Maybe some of them will even have fans at them. I don't know. A, a quick shout out Jason Hoffman plays his 250th A League game yeah. tonight. So good luck to him. And then, yeah, just keep watching, keep looking at Paramount, and keep looking, <laughs> looking around. There's a game on nearly every night. Yes, uh, in the women's as well. So no radio dub tonight. Pakua uh, will be coming into tomorrow instead that's a uh, s- uh, time slot shift for this week so uh, women's stuff will be covered tomorrow at 6 p.m we've got western united with the green room as well and the epl show so a triple bill tomorrow night here at fnr but until then it is goodbye for now victory looking to build barbarousas is quick is he in behind top or stanley it doesn't matter costa barbarousas Unbelievable kick. Come on here.